Welcome back. I'm glad to be with you again this week. Um, I'm excited to continue in the, in the book of Acts. How many of you have enjoyed that so far? Awesome, awesome. Um, and also, I want to, uh, before we get in, um, I'll save that for the end. Um, let's get in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence in this place. God, that's why we showed up. We didn't show up for, for me. We didn't even show up for the worship team. We showed up for you, and we thank you for meeting us right here today. And God, I thank you that you go home with us too. You go to work with us. You go to, you, you'll even go to Walmart with us, God. We thank you for that, and we bless you today. I ask you to, to anoint my tongue, anoint the word that's getting ready to be preached, open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears, help us to receive. Speak to us, Holy Ghost, today. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 8 today. We're going to finish up chapter 8. Um, I promised you I wouldn't get in a hurry. We're 13 weeks and we're only wrapping up the eighth chapter. Come on, somebody. That's, that's like a world record for me. <laughs> I can be one of the most anxious people you'll know. It, it, certain things will set me off and I'll get in a hurry and I want to get it done quick and I want to get it over with. Like if it's a big job, like I, I, I just gear up, I amp up and I go at it and I knock it out and then boom, it's done. And then everybody's mad at me afterwards because I was a bull in the china closet getting it done. Anybody feel my pain? And so 13 weeks in chapter 8, I think that's remarkable. It's only Jesus. <laughs> I promise you it's not me. Um, and man, I've enjoyed being able to preach on topics that we, we, we wouldn't normally be able to uh, preach on or, or teach on. And so today I want to teach you uh, how to help people meet Jesus. I want to teach you how to help people meet Jesus. There's, there's a couple of different ways to help people meet Jesus. It's, it's vital, now that you've met Jesus, to go and help others meet Jesus. Before you can make a disciple, which is what we're commanded to do, before you can go and make a disciple, you first have to introduce that person to Jesus. They need to be saved before they're discipled. Just to set the record straight, you can't make a disciple of an unsaved person. <laughs> you might make a better person, but you're not going to make a spirit-filled, born-again disciple that can go and reproduce himself to someone else. And so we must be aware of the times and know how God wants us to reach others. Today, by the end of the message, I hope you fall in love with being a spirit-led person. Because it's fun. Hmm. Look at your neighbor and say, it's fun. Yeah. So at times, the, the situation may call for an open-air preaching event like the day of Pentecost. So sometimes when God wants to touch or reach a massive crowd of people, he'll, he'll lay his anointing on one of his servants, and that servant will stand in some kind of a position and speak open-air and loud so that a crowd of people can hear and that a crowd can respond. Sometimes God moves that way. Most of the time, though, God moves in a more intimate, quiet way, which is one-to-one. -one. 
Side note, most of you will be comfortable with the one-to-one before you will ever be comfortable with the open-air preaching unless God's anointing comes over you so powerfully that you can't even control yourself. And when it's all said and done, you're like, what just happened? (laughs) So sometimes it's to the crowd and sometimes it's to the one person. Both are important and both are equally significant and God knows the season and the time that both of them need to be operated. I have two influences, I have more than that, but, but two of the influences in my life, in my spiritual life, is the Reverend Billy Graham. I've, I've read some of his stuff, listened to a bunch of his sermons, used to watch him when I was a kid on TV. Uh, I might have even saw him in black and white a few times when it was still black and white. I'm like, I'm just almost that old. Like, <laughs> come on, somebody. How many of y'all had to get up to go change the channel? Yeah. Oh, we in the old church. <laughs> Today, at least, <laughs> all the young folks stay over there with the remote. Anyway, Billy Graham was one of the one of the influences in my life. And then another guy you may not be familiar with. His name is Dawson Trotman. Dawson Trotman. He never preached a sermon from a pulpit. He never never had a stage. Never had a great crowd of people. Billy Graham would reach thousands. Dawson Trotman was a one-on-one kind of guy. Dawson Trotman was the founder of the Navigators. It's a movement of disciple-making people. It's just, that's all, they're like dogmatic about making disciples, and it's a great movement. They're big in colleges and, and, and um, big in one-to-one discipleship. Billy Graham was getting successful. His events were getting larger and larger, and the, and the reward are the... Um, The outcome from his preaching events grew bigger and bigger, like more and more people came to Christ every time he got up to speak. And and eventually it got to the point where he was like, we got to do something with all these new converts. Like we can't just come into town, preach, thousands of people get saved and then move on to the next town and not help these new believers get established in this new relationship with God. So Billy Graham calls Dawson Trotman and says, Dawson, I need some help. Would you come and teach us and show us how to follow up with these new converts and teach us how to disciple one-on-one? So Billy Graham was winning the masses, and Dawson Trotman was discipling the one-to-one. Two great influences in my life, two things I love to do in ministry. I love to preach, and I love to sit with other men one-on-one and call them into all that God has for them. Those are two passions of ministry that I have. And so we pick up today in Acts chapter 8. If you've got your Bible, please open your paper Bible. (laughs) Nobody will hear you if you open your phone, unless you got the clicks on. Which your neighbor would say, turn the clicks off, that's rude. Acts chapter 8, we're going to be at the end of the chapter. And we're going to talk about Philip today. Uh, Just a, a quick review, if you remember several weeks ago, Stephen was chosen to be a deacon. Remember Stephen? Stephen was a deacon. He got, he got picked out of several other guys. There were a handful of guys that got picked to be deacons. Stephen was on the, the meal ministry team. He was on the dream team. He was the meal ministry captain or whatever you want to call it. And he was serving meals to women. And, and he was and in his spare time, God was using him to do signs and wonders. And God was using him to move in people 
And he had a great anointing on him. He was filled with God's spirit and God used him until the point where he agitated the religious people so much that they actually arrested him. If you remember the story, they arrest him. They, they give him a backyard trial and they're about to kill him. And he's preaching to him the whole time. And you remember the moment he says, I see heaven open and I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the father. And then they stone him. Remember that? And they kill him. That means they threw big rocks at him. And they killed him. And Saul, who we'll get to later in the book of Acts, Saul was there and he gave approval for that event to happen. And then immediately after that, the, a great persecution came over this new church, and, Paul, and Saul was, was going door to door, arresting Christians. Imagine if somebody knocked on your door and said, hey, I heard you go to church. What you going to say? I heard you one of those Jesus followers. We're about to take you out. That's what happened. So the believers, the new believers, the new disciples scattered, the Bible says. They went in all directions. The apostles, though, the, the original 11, stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't run. They stayed there. But the disciples scattered. The, the new believers scattered. They took off running. Philip was one of those guys. He was chosen with Stephen. And when the persecution happened, Philip took off running. Nothing wrong with running sometimes. Come on, somebody. If a bear is chasing you, don't preach to him. Okay, that's like freebie stuff right there. That's just general wisdom. Run for your life, pray in tongues while you're running, and look for the greatest, I don't know, tree, cliff, pond, something. You, I don't know what to do. I've never been chased by a bear, but I imagine I would probably run faster than I've ever run. Hopefully. And if somebody else is with me, all I got to do is outrun them. <laughs> And so Philip is scattered, and the Bible says that Philip goes to Samaria. This is kind of where we left off. He goes to Samaria, which, by the way, is one of the places Jesus said, when I fill you with my Holy Spirit, you're going to go and witness to me. And he says, he actually says Samaria. So this is really cool because Philip actually fulfills Jesus' words when he walks into Samaria, and he starts preaching the good news to the Samaritans. That's a big deal. So he takes off running to Samaria, and he starts preaching. And people are getting saved. God's anointing is on him. And signs and wonders start to happen. He's casting out demons, healing the sick, praying for the blind. Whatever it was, signs and wonders were happening. People were getting the good news. Demons were being cast out. The sorcerer of the town, the town sorcerer, got saved. And this great work happened in Samaria. And the apostles in Jerusalem heard about it, and they said, let's send some guys to make sure that these new converts receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is so important that, that the apostles sent Peter and John to go and make sure these new believers were filled with the Spirit of God. So don't tell me you don't need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Every believer needs to be filled with the Spirit of God, period. It was so important that after, after Philip did his great work in Samaria, John and Peter come along to make sure that they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Philip got them all water baptized. Pretty cool stuff. He, he just like he walked into Eunice and just took over. Did you hear that? It would be like you going to your job tomorrow with a brand new attitude like this is the place I'm going to take it over. 
This is the ground that the Lord has gave me. I'm going to take it over. This is God's ground. I'm going to be his representation. I'm going to walk into this place with a new attitude, and I'm going to accomplish God's will in this place. So Philip is finished in Samaria, and he's making plans to leave, and we pick up the story in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. You with me so far? Verse 26 and 27 says this, As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he's telling him, I want you to go south. Well, first of all, an angel of the Lord appears to him. Anybody have that this morning? No, you were just looking for a cup of coffee. You weren't looking for an angel. An angel would have been better than a cup of coffee, by the way. (laughs) Come on. An angel of the Lord appears to him and says to him, I want you to go south. Listen to these instructions carefully. Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Period. And most of you would say what? Why? Most of you wouldn't move until you got your why. Do you know God likes to give you the why on the fly? Sometimes your act of obedience is your permission to get the why. Sometimes God ain't speaking again until you move the first time. Because watch what happens, verse 27. So he started out... That means he started obeying God and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Wow. If he never starts out, he never meets the eunuch. Which blows my mind because I go, how much are we missing the mighty works of God? How many people are lacking today because his servants aren't willing to just act on an an instruction to go south? How many people are suffering and struggling and, and how bad is the gospel not advancing because Christians, believers, are not ready to respond at a, at a command to just go. And we're sitting at home in disobedience because we don't have a why. And the whole time, God has the why on the road. So Philip started out and he met, who did he meet? The treasurer of Ethiopia. This is a big guy, not big in stature, but like big in influence, big in authority. He's over all the finances for Ethiopia. That's not Eunice. He's got great influence. So the the angel of the Lord gives Philip specific instructions on which direction to go, but it leaves out many other details. How many of you that bugs you? Come on, like like you, (laughs) come on, raise your hand. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Nobody's judging you. At least they shouldn't be. 
Like, I, like I, I, love, I love details, Pastor. God made me this way. I love my details. And if I don't get my details, I get my anxieties. And I just, ah! <laughs> he never told Philip what he would do. He just said to go. The command was to go. The direction was south. He didn't even tell him how long he was going to be there. Didn't tell him if he was going to meet somebody or not. Didn't even tell him where to stop. Just go. Some of the old timers when I was younger, growing up spiritually, they would tell us, you go there for until you find out what you're there for. Does that make sense? Like just obey and you'll find out what you're there for. Proverbs 16, 9 says this, we make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. This is one of my life verses. I realized, I came to the understanding and the realization that, that God allows me to make plans. Isn't that cool? That God allows you to make plans, but we must allow him to determine our steps. That means my plans have to be submitted to the steps and the determination of God. Come on. So Philip had plans. He had plans to leave Samaria because his work there was done. Actually, I believe he, was, he had plans to go further north. I'm going to show you a map in a minute. But I, I believe he had plans to go further north. But instead, the angel of the Lord, by the way, who is the Holy Spirit, said, go south. Philip had his plans, but he allowed the Holy Spirit to determine his steps. So when God tells you to go south, north, east, or west, if he tells you to go down Peach Street or 190, if he tells you to go east on 190, you go east on 190 till you run into what God wants you to run into. And don't be surprised if it's in Lawtel. This can't be God. This is Lawtel. No, it might really be God because it is Lawtel. Because you see, Philip met the Ethiopian treasurer in the desert, an insecure place. God, this is so good. <sighs> Help me, Lord. <laughs> Even when you don't know what you're going for, just go and discover what you're there for. If Philip doesn't go south, he never runs into the treasurer. He never runs into the eunuch. I see this story as being time sensitive. God's plans are time sensitive. If Philip doesn't move directly at the Holy Spirit's command, he never meets the Ethiopian on the road because the Ethiopian's already passed that road. Philip's on foot, the Ethiopian is in, is in a chariot. Philip is north of Jerusalem, the Ethiopian is at Jerusalem going south. Philip was approximately 50 miles north of Jerusalem when the angel said to him, go south. The eunuch was in Jerusalem already going south. 
If Philip doesn't move when God wants him to move, he never meets the eunuch. If he never meets the eunuch, Ethiopia never gets the gospel when it's supposed to get the gospel. You never know how big the consequences of your obedience are until you obey. A whole country is about to get ready to receive the good news because of one treasurer and one disciple who acted in obedience. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the, the, the eunuch real quick because it's a big deal that he's even in Jerusalem. He's an Ethiopian. Ethiopia is 1,500 miles south of Jerusalem. This dude took a chariot. That's a fancy word for a horse and a buggy. 1,500 miles. And some of you are fussing because you've got to drive 45 minutes to work <laughs> in a gas-powered car that you don't have to feed or pick up manure behind. Well, you do have to feed it, and feed's expensive right now. The eunuch worked hand-in-hand with the queen of Ethiopia. Now, just a little history. The queen in Ethiopia did all the work. The king was thought to be too good to do this menial work. So the queen would do the labor. She would do the, the groundwork. She was the one that would go to meetings and go and make deals and do all these things. The king never did it because he was, he was too good for that. So the queen, yeah, some of you ladies are going, mm -hmm. got me a little Ethiopia at my house. <laughs> Don't say that out loud. Pray about it before you tell your husband. So, so it meant that the queen was surrounded by men. When she was surrounded by men, they were made into eunuchs. A eunuch is a man whose reproductive organs have been, for lack of better words, mutilated. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I ain't showing you no pictures. Because he was working hand in hand with the queen. So they wanted to make sure there was no funny business. So this guy is a eunuch. He's hand in hand with the queen. He's handling all the finances of Ethiopia. He was a God-fearing man. He had to be because he took a horse and buggy 1,500 miles to go to a worship service. <laughs> By the way, we got some worship nights coming up. What's your excuse? Just throw that in there. Just yeah, let that one hit for a minute. <laughs> he was a God-fearing man who traveled 1,500 miles to worship God at one of the celebrations. He carried authority. He must have carried some authority in Jerusalem also. So, so keep in mind, they didn't have this. There wasn't none of this. They didn't have a compiled books of the Bible all put into this leather-bound thing that they could easily read from. 
In fact, only special people had the original handwritten transcripts from original text, and it was on scrolls, and, and, and you didn't duplicate that very fast. There was no Xerox machines. <laughs> Come on, there was no stamping press, no nothing. Like, like if you needed a copy, brother had to write it. It was a handwritten copy. This guy must have carried some authority because he goes home from Jerusalem with a copy of Isaiah. And the Bible tells us, and we'll read it in a minute, that he's reading Isaiah aloud as he's traveling home. Who travels 1,500 miles to go to a worship service? The book he's reading in Isaiah, the chapter he's reading in Isaiah is chapter 53. Chapter 53 is the chapter of the suffering servant. It's the chapter of Jesus. It's the prophetic proclamation that Jesus is coming and he's going to suffer. Just a coincidence? So I'm, 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 I'm chewing on this as I'm studying it. And I'm going, I see this guy. He's traveling in a carriage. He's got a handwritten copy of the book of Isaiah. And he's reading out loud from Isaiah 53. And he just left a worship service that he traveled 1,500 miles to get to. And he's on his way 1,500 miles back home. And he's sitting in his carriage and he's reading Isaiah aloud. I started to think about that worship service. Now, this is just speculation on my part. Kind of let you into how my mind works. I wonder if he was in that worship service in Jerusalem and he said, Lord, I'd really like to know you better. You know, if he prayed one of those crazy prayers, like, God, I'd just give you my whole life. Maybe, maybe they sang that song, more of you and less of me. You don't know if they didn't have that song back then. But maybe he did something like that. And as he's traveling home in that worship service, he surrenders his heart to God. And God meets him on a desert road with one of his spirit-filled, spirit-led disciples. And he gets introduced to Jesus on his way back to Ethiopia. And now Ethiopia is going to get the good news. You better be careful what you pray for. Just might get it. I would say the eunuch was good soil. He was ready to receive from God. I believe God knew that. Why else would he send somebody as important as Philip over a hundred miles south to go and meet him on a desert road unless his heart was ready? Last time I checked, God don't take chances. God makes decisions. So let me show you how Philip traveled. Throw that map up there real quick. Because this is interesting. Now remember, he's on foot. So Philip starts in Jerusalem, right here. The persecution breaks out. He travels all the way up to Samaria, preaches. All that stuff happens in Samaria. He's done. Peter and John then travel to Samaria. And they're there to make sure all the Samaritans are being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Philip's planning to go somewhere else. I think he was planning to go to Caesarea. 
But the angel says, no, I want you to go south. So Philip comes south back to Jerusalem and back this direction. And, and scholars believe somewhere in here is where he, can y'all see this? Somewhere in here is where he met the Ethiopian on the road. Now keep this in mind because this is important. There's a whole lot of moving parts and pieces here. If he doesn't leave when he's supposed to, the Ethiopian outruns him. You see it? You can keep that up there for right now. Or maybe we'll come back to it. But Philip basically does this. He travels from Jerusalem. He goes north to Samaria. When he finishes there, the angel tells him to go south to Gaza. After he finishes with the Ethiopian, the Bible says that he's snatched away. Some translations say he's carried off. We'll get into that in a minute because it's really, really cool. To Azotus, to Azotus, and preaches his way all the way back up to Caesarea. Now, some of you are thinking, well, God, why didn't you send somebody from Jerusalem to go meet? I mean, why didn't you send Peter or John from Jerusalem? They could have caught the Ethiopian in Jerusalem. Like, anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, like any of you looking at this logistically and going, God, you could have done this so much more efficiently. Like, like why? Like, why did you send Philip from It don't make sense, God. And Anybody argue with God like that? Like there was 11 apostles in Jerusalem that could have met the Ethiopian. Why'd you send Philip? You ever sometimes ask God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you sending me? Why I got to be the one to do this? Why I'm the one that has to go over there? Why I got to say, why you can't send Pastor Jamie? He got better words than I do. Because he's God and he wants to send you. So let's quickly look at three things Philip did that I think are important for us to know how to help people meet Jesus. This is so good. Number one, Philip listened. Number one, he listened to the Holy Spirit. To listen to the Holy Spirit, you have to be listening for him. To hear something, you have to silence everything else. We got issues with being quiet. Yeah, we got issues with putting this thing down. Oh, they went on vacation. Oh, she did that to her hair. You ain't hearing the Holy Spirit. You up in other people's business. We have issues stopping life long enough to hear God. So the first thing Philip did was he positioned and postured his heart and his life to be ready for service when God would call upon him. Is your life ready for God to send you to Gaza? Are you prepared to go down the road south on the desert road? Are you so bound up to these worldly things that you can't even get a day off because you're like, I can't obey God because I got a job. You ever wonder how these guys ate? He postured his life to hear from God, if you'll posture your life to hear from God, he will speak. God is always speaking. He never shuts up. 
He's always speaking, always giving instructions, always has a plan. He's always working in some situation. He never sleeps. Verse 29 and 30. So Philip goes, he runs into the Ethiopian treasurer. He hadn't introduced himself yet. Verse 29, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, this is so important. He said, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Now let's unpack that for a minute. He said, go over and walk along the side of the carriage. Like if this was the, if my pulpit was the carriage, he said, go, go over and just walk along the side of it. What was, what was the Holy Spirit telling him to do? Go to that carriage and make some observations. Listen to what's going on in the carriage because you need to gain some understanding so that I can properly use you in this guy's life because it's time sensitive. This is what the Holy Spirit is telling him. Go and listen. Go to the carriage and listen. Walk alongside of it and listen. I'll prove it to you that that's what happened. Philip, instead of walking, he he ran. (laughs) I'd rather get in trouble for running instead of walking. Come on, somebody. Philip ran over and heard. He heard. He heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? I'm about to give you something that's going to work in every area of your life, so you better pay close attention. This works every direction you go with your life, in everything. Learn how to listen. But learn how to listen the right way. Here's the problem with most most marriages today. We listen to gain information so that we can respond. We don't. What we should be doing is listen to gain understanding so that we can understand where the other person is, discover what's going on. Maybe there's something I did. Maybe there's something they're going through. I'm listening not to respond. I'm listening to understand. Big difference. When your kids are walking through stuff, you need to zip your lip sometimes and you need to listen to gain an understanding. If Philip runs up on this carriage and he just starts quoting scripture and preaching at this guy, he never gets to discover where the Ethiopian is spiritually. He just assumes he knows where this guy is. Is this making sense? When your spouse is having a bad day and she's fussing about the door squeaking, it ain't the door, bruh. You might ought to stop, stop defending the door, sit down, baby, what's wrong? Like change your whole life, hey, baby, what's wrong? What's, hey, what's really bothering It's that cabinet, it's squeaking. No, baby, it's not the cabinet. Cabinets don't normally do this to you. What, did, did I do something, baby? Help me understand. Tell me what's going on. When he's acting like a jerk, when he's bossy and he's irritable, and he's agitated. And, he, and you ask him why, and he says, it's the humidity. It ain't the humidity. <laughs> listen to understand. Don't listen to respond. 
you can actually save more time, guys, because that don't like to talk and have long-winded conversations. You can actually save more time if you listen better. I got a bad habit of running my mouth. Not about people's business, but just when I'm in a meeting. Like if I'm in a counseling session with somebody, I'll I'll get in, I'll listen for five minutes, and and, and, like I told you, I'm always in a hurry. I'll listen for five minutes, oh, I got this, I got this. Okay, this is what you need to do, this, 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 and I'll miss it. And I'll waste 30 minutes explaining to them what they need to do, and it wasn't even what they needed to do. I'm learning how to listen better. Why? Because it makes the counseling sessions shorter. They're more accurate. I don't waste words. Because when you say too much, you got to go back and take all that back. Okay, scratch everything I just said for the last 30 minutes. Let's start... Listening to understand is one of the greatest characteristics to have. Come on, somebody. You might want to write this down. Listening is the smoothest way through a rough conversation. Listening is the smoothest way through a rough conversation. You ever get in a rough conversation? Come on, you ever wake up and and like you and your spouse, the guns are blazing, you don't even know why? You know the best thing to do is not shoot back, but just listen It's the smoothest way through a rough conversation. So because Philip was quick to obey and patient to observe or listen, he was able to discover where the eunuch was spiritually. Remember, this whole mission is time sensitive. You'll never know where someone is until you take the necessary time to discover it, which comes by listening. If you don't take the necessary time to listen, you're shooting in the dark. You want to know what you're really doing? You're assuming. And we know what assuming does. (laughs) I'm not going to say it. So a great counselor must first be a great listener. A great parent must first be a great listener. Do your kids know that you listen? Or do they know that you just talk a lot? You know, you know when the kids shut you off? When their eyes glaze over. You just soon stop right there because they ain't hearing another word you got to say. Why? Because you didn't listen to them in the first place. And they're like, oh, here we go. Another lecture. Lecture, lecture. I'm off of school. Oh, God. Number two, Philip asked questions. This is big, too. So Philip listened, and then Philip asked questions. You know you can do more with questions than you can with comments? Did y'all hear that? Do you know you can do more with questions than you can with comments? Like your opinion is not all that you think it is? I'm going to tell this side. That side didn't believe me. Do Do you realize your opinion is not as great as you think it is? And most of the time you need to keep that thing to yourself because it smells like a bad burp. Philip asked good questions. Verse 30, look at what he says. He says, do you understand what you're reading? He didn't assume where the guy was spiritually. He didn't didn't take anything for granted. He ran up alongside the carriage. He listened to the guy. He recognized he was reading from Isaiah 53 about the suffering Savior. And he asked the question, do you understand what you're reading? I'm trying to ask more questions in my life. 
It's one of my goals right now, is to ask better and more questions and give a whole lot less of my opinion. And some, some of you may be going, thank God. <laughs> That's okay. I'm trying. I'm growing. I'm growing. I'm, I'm, I'm not there yet, but I'm growing. The great football coach Lou Holtz said this. He said, I never learned anything talking. I only learn things when I ask questions. Let me say that again. I never learn anything talking. I only learn things when I ask questions. Asking questions is the source of discovering. Don't assume where someone is spiritually. Discover by asking questions. So don't run in with guns blazing thinking that you got everything that they need. First, go, observe, listen to them, discover where they are spiritually, and from that place, take them to Jesus. Come on. If you're assuming, you're missing out a whole lot of things. But if you'll take the time to listen, discover, ask questions, you'll find out where they are spiritually and then take them, meet them right there. Don't try to make them anything. Meet them right where they are and take them from there to Jesus. Otherwise, you're just skipping steps. Acts chapter 8, verse 34. The eunuch asked questions. Tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? <laughs> that was his understanding. He didn't understand what he was reading. He didn't understand Jesus. He was a God-fearing man because he traveled 1,500 miles to go worship God. But he didn't understand this Jesus. And so he asked a question that reveals his spiritual condition. Is Isaiah talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? And Philip goes, aha, that's where you are. And, and watch this. Verse 35. So beginning with this same scripture, he met him right there where he was at. With the same scripture, beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. You can't take people from where you assume they are. You can only take people where you discover where they are. So Philip asked questions. Number three, Philip led him to Jesus. Philip led him to Jesus. You know, God only asks you to bring people to Jesus. He never asks you to clean them up. He never asks you to fix them. He never asks you to correct them. He never asks you to make them into something. He didn't ask you to, to duplicate yourself in them and to make them look just like you, dress like you, part their hair like you. He didn't ask you to do none of that. All he asked you to do was bring them to Jesus. If we'll get good at bringing people to Jesus, God will get really good at transforming this world. Did y'all hear what I said? If we'll get really good at just simply bringing people to Jesus, then Jesus will get really good at transforming this world. The church has been for too long tried to do Jesus' job. We're trying to dress them up on the outside, make them quit smoking, make them quit cussing and drinking and doing drugs and, and looking at stuff. That, we're trying to fix everything on the outside because I don't even work that way. I go inside first. I transform the heart. And when the heart's transformed, then the mind gets transformed. And when the mind gets transformed, the actions and the outside starts to get transformed. So they may be on drugs for a little while, but just keep bringing them to Jesus. They may be drinking while they're on their way to Jesus, but just keep bringing them to Jesus. 
Don't try to fix them. Philip led him to Jesus. So Philip was not on a mission to assume. He was on a mission to discover. The Holy Spirit told him to go over and walk alongside the carriage, not go over and tell the man something. Just go and listen. Just simply meet people where they are, and from there, bring them to Jesus. Let me wrap this up. So Philip meets the eunuch in Isaiah, and from there, takes him all the way to Jesus. Philip leads the eunuch to Jesus, and then his next step was water baptism. So they stopped at some water. The eunuch was so overwhelmed that Philip would meet him on a desert road, climb up in his carriage, and take the time to take him from where he was to Jesus instead of assuming where he was. He took him, he discovered where he was, then took him from there to Jesus. He was so overwhelmed. He was like, what do I need to do next? And Philip was like, you need to be water baptized. He goes, I see water. Can we do it now? How do you know when God's moving in somebody's heart? Because they want to go now. So they pull the carriage over. Philip goes down into the water and he baptizes the guy. Oh, it's so cool. Let me show you something as I wrap this up. You good so far? It's only 1120. I still got another hour. Y'all think I'm clowning? <laughs> no, don't tell me that. <laughs> so Philip baptizes the man. Verse 39, it's, it's not in your notes, it's not even on the screen. Verse 38, he ordered the carriage to stop and they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. By the way, this is where we believe in immersion because they went down into the water. Philip didn't scoop up the water and sprinkle it on his head. No, they went into the water and they, they got underneath it. Dunked. <laughs> like straight up dunked him in the water. Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. So hang on to that for a second. Just put that on to the, to the left side right now. The spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way, what? Rejoicing. Rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north in the town of Azotos. He preached the good news from there in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. Throw the map back up. Throw the map back up. I don't know if you heard me. So watch this. They, they believe he met the Ethiopian somewhere in this area on his way to Gaza. Now the Ethiopian would travel all the way down here to Ethiopia. Philip runs all the way down and catches him somewhere right here. Walks alongside the carriage, finds out where the guy is, meets him where he's at, and from there brings him to Jesus. Pulls over. They found some water somewhere in this desert. Pulls over, 
Come on, don't tell me this ain't, this ain't time sensitive. If he stops at McDonald's, they miss the water. Even as fast as McDonald's is. They stop. They go down into the water. Philip dunks him. And when they come up out of the water, the Bible says Philip is snatched away or carried off. There's a big debate. Was he transported? Was he just put in a hurry? I believe he was snatched away, which means that something supernatural happened to him because he went from here, and when he realized where he was, he was here. So between here and there, some kind of a miracle or supernatural thing happened. Philip was snatched away. Now, I've only heard of this one other time. It was a friend of mine in South Africa who knew a preacher who was running late to his next meeting and he was like an hour late to get there. And he called the people and said, I'm not going to make it. And they said, okay, come, you can preach tomorrow. They readjusted the schedule for him. He started worshiping God. When he came out of this worship moment with God, he was at the place in less than a couple of minutes. The only other time I've heard of this, the friend that told me I trust him, a miracle happened from here to there. And then Philip preaches his way all the way back to there. The story ends with Philip in Caesarea, further north than Samaria. My guesstimation is that Philip was planning to leave Samaria and head to Caesarea. Makes sense to me. But God had other plans. When you live with a willingness to let God determine your steps, you may travel further than you wanted to, but you will experience more than you ever thought you would. And who knows? You may appear somewhere else. Isn't that good? The Ethiopian goes to Ethiopia. Now Ethiopia gets the gospel. Think about Philip for a minute. One act of obedience changed the nation. One meeting on a desert road that was time-sensitive changed a nation. Don't tell me that God doesn't have plans for you every day. Don't tell me that your life does not have purpose every day. Don't tell me that every day is not important. I don't believe that. Philip was responsible for the gospel traveling 1,500, and to be precise, 1,593 miles. The Ethiopian came to Jerusalem one way, and he returned changed. All because of one spirit-led man of God acted on what God said to do with no details. Come on, somebody. Whoo, it'll make your skin crawl with no details. Just go down that road. What you mean go down that road? Like just go down the road. 
okay. And it may be like that. How many of you remember the story of the burning house that I had a couple years ago? Anybody remember that story? I was, I was walking on my cattle lease, checking my cows. It was getting late. I'll give you the short version. It was getting late. I was walking back to my truck before it got dark because they got tatas out there. <laughs> Them things that howl, you know what I'm saying? They make me want to run. So I was like, I want to get back to the truck. So I'm heading back to the truck. I'm kind of getting anxious. I'm in a hurry. And I heard the Lord say to me, stop and sit still. And when I stopped, there was an old tub out of a washing machine sitting there. Somebody used it for target practice. And so I pulled it over, made sure there was no tatas in that. <laughs> and I sat on it, and the Lord said, I'm going to show you something. And I said, okay. So I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm honestly thinking I'm going to see a big deer. Not that I would kill it. I didn't have a gun, and I sure wasn't about to chase it. But I was like, I just want to see a big old buck, like, like a record buck. And I, was, I thought I was going to see something like that. I was praying I didn't see a bear. Just a buck. And I'm sitting, and 20 minutes goes by, and I just, I'm praying, I'm praying in the spirit, I'm worshiping, I'm just sitting there, and I'm, I'm getting anxious, you know, because, like, nothing's happening. I expected it to happen in, at least within 15 minutes, and God was at 20 minutes, and I was getting anxious, and I'm like, ah, uh-uh. And I actually got up to leave. And as soon as I took about four or five steps, the Holy Spirit said, that's it? And I went, and I went and sat back down. And I sat down for another 10 minutes, and I prayed. And I never saw anything. I said, well, Lord, this was good. Thank you so much for this incredible time. I really enjoy these quiet times. Thank you for slowing me down. And I'm walking back to my truck. I get in my truck, and I'm heading home. And there's a, a certain road I go down every time when I go back to the house because the guy, he, he, he just built a house, and he does all kind of neat stuff around the south. And I'm nosy, and, and I, I wanted to see what he was doing. And so I'm, I'm approaching his house, and it's getting dark. And I see smoke and a flame in the back on the other side of his house, and I'm like, what's he burning? You know, nosy pastor. <laughs> I'm like, what's he burning? So I'm, I'm passing in front, and I just get just past his house, and I see the two garbage cans on side the house with like an eight-foot flame above them. And it's, it's, it's beating on the soffit of the house. And it's running up the bricks. The flame, the, the garbage cans are just like, boom, they're just going. And nobody's outside. And so I pull my truck over. At the same time, two ladies come whipping in. And I jump out and I grab the guy's water hose and it, it was broken. Keep a good water hose. <laughs> I had to fix the dang water hose before I could put the fire. I'm like, a $15. I fixed the water hose. And I sat there and it's. I'm like, man, what the heck? Dude, almost like, and so the ladies, I'm like, is anybody home? She's like, no, nobody's home. I'm like, where are these people at? I don't know. And they call people and all this other stuff. Anyway, about 20 minutes later, here comes all the fire people in the world. There's like eight fire trucks, 40 people. And by this time, I had to fire out. The garbage cans filled with water. I'm like, the fireman rolls up, and I was kind of prideful. I said, I got it. I got it. It's all good. I put it out. I said, I don't see anything up in the attic. You know, from the soffit, you know, the vinyl was melted. I said, I think I got it. I squirted some water in there. It's all good. He goes, no, I got to get in the attic. We got to get this house open. So they get the house open, so I follow him inside. I'm like, I'm a fireman now. <laughs> so I follow him. I'm 
God approved. <laughs> I followed him. I go into the house, and he, he climbs up in the attic, and you hear him stomping around, and he comes running out. He goes, give me a fire, a fire, a fire extinguisher. Give me a fire extinguisher. And so one of the guys runs up with a fire extinguisher. He runs in and the fire was just starting in the attic. This was only like a few days before Christmas. So they got it out. People were starting to ask questions. I slipped away, got in my truck, and I'm driving home. And I said, Lord, is that what you wanted to show me? He said, yeah. You need to just listen to me. I'll show you all kinds of things. If I leave the first time I get up and don't sit for another 10 minutes, that garbage can may not be big enough. The fire on the garbage can may not be big enough for me to stop. If I stay five minutes longer, the house is engulfed in flames. Where are you at today? I don't get it right every day, by the way. There's days I fail. There's days I get wrapped up with my agenda. There's days my schedule runs my life. There's days I don't listen. Where are you at? I want to take a moment. And I want you to write this down before I do. Write this down. A spirit-led life is an adventurous life. A spirit-led life is an adventurous life. A spirit-led life is an adventurous life. Just dim the lights a little bit. We're going to have a moment of ministry time. If my prayer leaders would come forward, you can stand here in the front. It's not going to get real loud. I want to open up the altars to you today. I want to invite you to come down and pray. Everything that God does starts with repentance and humility. Everything he does. God can't do anything with you when you're proud. All he does is resist you. But with repentance and humility, God will start to move in your life like maybe you've experienced before, but likely like you've never experienced before. So the girls are gonna sing a chorus, and as they do, I want you to come down. If you feel led to repent, maybe have somebody pray for you. Maybe you don't wanna pray with anybody, you just wanna kneel at the altar and pray. You're welcome to do that. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for this word. God, I thank you that your word never returns void. It always accomplishes its will. God, I thank you that you have a purpose for us every day. You have plans for us every day. Thank you for Philip's story. Thank you for this adventurous life that you've called us to. Jesus, you're not boring. This, this new life is not boring. So God, right now, I just want to lead these people into a moment of repentance. 
but when we begin to turn our hearts and our minds back to you. And that in itself would transform our actions and we would wake up tomorrow and do something we've never done before. And we would say, Lord, I give you this day. This is your day and I'm going to rejoice in it. Whatever you want to do with me, I give you my life. Something inside of us changes. That that would change what people see on the outside. So I invite you right now. If you need prayer, there's prayer people here. If you want the altar, the altar's here. This is a moment. Lord, forgive us for being self-centered and self-focused. For not posturing our lives to, to be used by you. Our lives are so busy and so structured and so overly organized and, and overly committed that we, we don't even have room for Forgive us, God. Help us to make the radical changes necessary. God, forgive us for not listening to understand. Forgive us for the times we only listen to gain ammunition to fight with. Forgive us for not taking the time to understand and discover what people are. And then for not taking them to the place where Jesus is. Help us today. Help us today. Say that with me. Say, help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. tired of myself. We just want you, Lord. Move in my heart. Move in my mind. Move in me, Lord.
to him. Maybe we need to invite him in, back in. set aside to be in your presence, to hear encouragement, to worship and lift your name up, to hear the truth. God changes with your truth. For some of us, it may happen right now. For others, it may happen later on. It may happen tonight. It may happen tomorrow. But God, I thank you once again that your word never returns void. It never returns empty. It always accomplishes its will. 
God, at the hearing of your word today, we, we just ask you to seal that word on our hearts. Seal it in our mind. And we invite you to move in our lives with your word. And God, I pray that as you transform us and you change our thinking and you change our heart and our actions begin to change that a boldness would come over us. A boldness to make necessary changes with our schedules and with our lifestyle. That God, as a church, we would posture ourselves to be used by you. It wouldn't be about us anymore. It would be about you first. That our schedules would be you first. Our commitments would be you first. Our habits, our appointments, our desires would be you first. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us a boldness like Philip had to listen boldly, to obey boldly, and to, to act boldly. Lord, you took Philip the long way. Praise God, it was the best way. Simply because it was your way. God, help us to see how time-sensitive our obedience is. Help us to see how important and significant our obedience is. Remind us that people are at stake. Cities and work environments are at stake. Possibly even nations are at stake. So God, we thank you for today. We bless you in this moment. We give you praise for everything that you're doing today and from here. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Brendan, I'm going to wrap it up. Wrap it up. Um, let me give you a few quick announcements. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the 21 days of prayer and fasting. That starts today, hopefully. Uh, this, is, this is not something new to us. This is something that we do every year. We, we pray. We have a 21-day prayer twice a year. In August, we pray and feast. That means eat. <laughs> and then in January, we pray and fast. That means either don't eat or cut out some other things in your life. So, I didn't feel like I needed to tell you once again what we're getting ready to do because I felt like you should know what we're doing. So, because some of you are new and because some of you haven't done this with us many times, let me give you some, some outline on what we're gonna do for the next 21 days. So we're gonna start today with 21 days of prayer and fasting. Why do we do this? There's no better way to start the year than to start it in the presence of God to get a word from God, to spend time, concentrated time with God where you push out some of these distractions in your life. If, it's, if food is a big deal for you, then maybe you need to push some food out the way. There's been times I've fasted sweets. There's been times I've done a total Daniel fast for 21 days and only eat stuff that comes out of the ground. There was a time I did a three-day total fast and only drank water. Be careful with that one. 
But there's been many times that I've done like digital fasts where I've pushed away a telephone or a, a social media or, or TV and, and different things like that. Whatever I find myself previously struggling to get away from, that's probably the thing I need to fast from because it's taking too much of my time. So hopefully that helps you. So I want you to, when you go home today, I want you to diligently seek the Lord on what you should be fasting for the next 21 days. And I want you to take the next 21 days very seriously. Like I want you to go at it this time. I want you to pursue Jesus like you've never pursued him before. Push stuff away, get on your face, and go after Jesus. Listen, talk, worship him, thank him, journal what you're hearing and what you're writing down. For some of you, you've been praying over some things for a long period of time and nothing's changed. This is the perfect time to bring those things before the Lord in that intimate moment. So what we're gonna do is, is for the next 21 days, we're gonna, we're gonna we got a couple of things set uh, for us to come together, but week one, starting today to the 15th to next Saturday, I want you to make this fast very personal. So take, take the next seven days and make it very personal. Like I want you to go to Jesus about you. Not about your husband, not about your wife, not about your children, just you. Does that make sense? So the first week is personal. The second week is gonna be about your community or your family. That's when you're going to start to pray about your spouse and your kids and your, maybe your parents or your cousin and, and your, kind of your, your family community. Maybe it's spiritual family you're going to start to pray about. And then the third week, we're going, to, we're going to focus on the region that God's given us. God's given us St. Landry Parish, Acadia Parish, and Evangeline Parish. And I want us as a church in week three to go after this region. I'm, I'm diligently trying to not pray for just the city of Eunice anymore. I'm praying specifically for a region. Like normally when I roll in town on Sunday mornings, as soon as I get into the city limits, I go, Lord, thank you for Eunice. Thank you for sending me to Eunice. I'm so grateful to be here. And I did that this morning out of habit. I said, Lord, thank you for Eunice. He said, I gave you a region. I was like, Lord, thank you for this region. And I corrected my, my prayer. And so we're going to go at it for this region. And we're going to see what God does. A couple of dates you need to write down. Uh, we're going to do a three-night kind of spiritual renewal in the middle of this whole 21 days. So on the 16th, the 17th, and the 18th, that's a Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, at 6.30, we're going to meet here. We'll have a, a, a moment of worship. There's going to be somebody here to teach. It will either be me or maybe Pastor Josh or some other folks that I can bring in. We're going to take three days and just together, just go as, at, at a spiritual renewal, just to kind of help stir something. I want to do something different this year. You okay with that? Good. That was the only church vote we'll ever have. So that's the 16th, 17th, and 18th at 630. We will have child care for that just for the little ones. So that's uh, Ark and Rainforest. If your kids are in Ark and Rainforest, we'll have child care for that. If they're not in Ark and Rainforest, they're going to be in here because they need to learn how to be in a spiritual renewal. They need to learn how to pray and fast also. And by the way, if you've got kids at home, bring them along on this journey. Make it a big deal for them. This is how you brainwash your kids. Amen? 
And then on the 30th, the last night of the 21 days, we're gonna have a worship night with testimonies. And I'm saying this to you now because I want put some, I want to put some pressure on you to get something from God. I want to put some pressure on you to pursue God. I want to have the whole night filled with worship and testimonies. Don't make me prep a message. Seriously. We all need to know what God's doing in each of our lives. Amen. And so on the 30th, we're going to have a, a worship night and a testimony night. Is that good? The daily devos are continuing to run. I would in, encourage you to, to jump on with that. We're running throughout the whole year. And, and that's great. So next step happens. If you're ready to join this church, you say, you know what? I like this spiritual family. I feel like God's called me here. And you're ready to jump in and, and get plugged in and connected. You can, you can sign up for next step on a connect card. On that card, you just simply put your name and your number, put next step, and we'll and just leave it on your seat after after we dismiss and we'll pick it up and then we'll contact you and get you scheduled for the next next step. I just gave you the 21 days of prayer and fasting. Um, also, tithes and offerings. How many of you excited to give? Come on. Yep. What if you decided to tithe this year? Newsflash, only 20% of you give. I don't say that to condemn you or to guilt you into giving because God loves a cheerful giver, not one that's guilted into giving. But what would happen if you took your finances and you submitted them to the Lord in 2022 and you committed to tithe every week or every month, a full tithe, a 10% of what you bring in, what would happen to your finances? Well, here's the truth. I'll tell you what would happen. You won't know until you tithe. You won't know until you tithe completely. Amen? God always provides for us. I don't need you to tithe. You need you to tithe. Amen? And you need you to give and be generous because we're a generous church. So there's three ways to give. Maybe. Um, you can give online. You can text to give and you can give in person and the black box is in the back. I want you to give a special hand for my man, Gerald Dishler. Turn around and look at Gerald. That's the first time in history he gets looked at for not doing something wrong. Because <laughs> normally I don't look at those guys until they do something wrong. Gerald, I just want to honor you, man. You've, you've been diligent and you've been faithful to serve between the weekends. Gerald, single-handedly for the most part, just upgraded all of our sound system. It was about an eight, dollars $9,000 upgrade. And he handled the whole thing himself. Praise God because I'd have been lost as a goose. But he's labored. He's been here countless hours just serving. His wife's made sacrifices. Bro, I just want you to know I appreciate you. I'm honored to have you as a part of this church, honored to be your friend. I'm so grateful for your commitment to excellence with Jesus. So I love you. Let's give him one more big hand. All right, stand up with me and we'll let you go. You enjoying the, two, the one service? <laughs> I don't know, Pastor, you won't come along today. It felt like two services. I'll show you what two feels not doing. Open your hands towards heaven. Father, thank you for today. Bless us to go and be a blessing, God. 
anoint us to go and reach this lost world. This is the land that you've given us. This is the territory that you've planted us in and called us to go and reap a harvest, God. Anoint us to do that this week. I pray supernatural things will begin to happen for us. That God, you would give us supernatural strength, a supernatural boldness and a courage to go and meet people where they are and from there, take them to you, Jesus. I bless you and I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you. God bless you. Have a great week.